Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. Each week, I look at issues of faith and scripture and how they relate to our everyday lives. In the past few weeks, we've witnessed a tragic escalation of violence in Israel and the Gaza Strip. Over 200 people have lost their lives in military and terrorist attacks, including many children and non-combatants. Perhaps even more disturbing is the clashes between Israeli and Palestinian civilians on the streets. Fortunately, a ceasefire seems to be holding for the time being, but I don't know anyone, me included, who's optimistic that the violence has ended permanently. In listening to the people around me and reading the op-eds of supposed experts in the field and watching the talking heads on television news, I've discovered that there exists a lot of confusion regarding the Arab-Israeli conflict, especially as it relates to anti-Semitism and the history of the Jewish people. I hear a lot of intertwining of religion and the politics of war that aren't helpful. So today I'm going to talk about the biblical roots of the children of Israel and their perilous journey through history to the present. Obviously, it's an impossible task to undertake in any depth in a 20-minute podcast, but I hope that I can give us a foundation of knowledge that can help us build and formulate our own informed opinions on these matters. I'll begin with a foundational text from the Bible in which God grants to the Israelites the land which is still so hotly contested today. The reading comes from Genesis 15, verses 18 to 21. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. You know, as we can see, the recent conflict in Israel is nothing new. Violent conflict between the people who would come to be known as the children of Israel or the Jews and other ancient inhabitants of this area can be traced at least back as this far as this passage in Genesis where God grants to Abraham the fertile tract of land between the Mediterranean Sea, Egypt, and the Jordan River. It's over 4,000 years ago. The problem was, and is, that the land was already inhabited by other peoples. We generally call the descendants Palestinians. Although the Bible says that God promised the land to the ancestors of Abraham, they wouldn't occupy it easily. The conquest of the land began when the Israelites crossed the Jordan River from the east and defeated the inhabitants of the walled city of Jericho, their gateway to the promised land. The finale of this battle is recorded in this famous passage from Joshua 6. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpets, they raised a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So the people charged straight ahead into the city and captured it. Then they voted to destruction by the edge of the sword all in the city, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys. 
I remember as a kid singing with great relish the song which recalls this battle. We sang it in Sunday school. We sang Joshua at the Battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua at the Battle of Jericho. And the walls came tumbling down, down, and the walls came tumbling down. The song was accompanied by actions which ended in all of us collapsing on the floor. It was all great fun. We had no clue, nor did our teachers, that we were reenacting not just a brutal bloodbath, but an absolute genocide. Our teachers would have gotten some angry phone calls from our parents if they'd taught us the grisly truth. The justification of the seizing of territory from an indigenous people by an appeal to God's will is not unique to this ancient story of origins. A not-so-ancient example is the spread of American settlers and the eventual occupation of what would become the United States of America at the expense of the indigenous North American peoples. We call that westward expansion and genocide manifest destiny. Now, we can argue, and we do argue, till the cows come home, about the morality of such displacements of people and whether it really deflect, reflects God's will or not. But morality aside, history shows us that continuing resentments, hatred, and sometimes seemingly eternal conflict is inevitable when one people drives another from their ancestral lands. Well, let's go back to ancient Israel. It would take another 500 years or so and many military conflicts from the time of the Battle of Jericho for the promise of Israel to become a great nation to be fulfilled. That happened in about 1000 BC under the leadership of King David. Those golden days of Israel didn't last long, though. Israel was constantly attacked and occupied by other regional powers until the time of Jesus Christ when the Romans controlled the area. In 70 AD, when the Romans totally destroyed the Jewish temple, Jews for the most part were dispersed around the ancient world, not to officially return to reclaim the land as the nation of Israel until 1948, which once again led to the displacement of other Palestinian people. So the seeds of today's conflict between Israel and Palest Palestinian people are rooted in biblical history. Unfortunately, texts from the Bible don't hold legal force, especially after so many years. There's not no title company on earth that can establish legal ownership. That must play out on the stage of world politics and diplomacy. Unfortunately, that hasn't worked out so well so far. So let's look at some other factors at play in the current conflict. One factor that comes into play when we consider our position toward the recent military actions is the role of anti-Semitism. One newspaper columnist wrote last week that anyone who supports Hamas is anti-Semitic. While Hamas, the de facto governing authority of the Gaza Strip, has instigated terrorist acts against Israel and Hamas, and Hamas's actions are certainly motivated by anti-Semitic hatred, is not as simple as all that. Hamas is constituted by both a social service or humanitarian wing and a military wing, which is responsible for the rocket attacks. 
but what role does anti-Semitism play in all of this? The roots of anti-Semitism run deep. And the reason that most of us have a hard time understanding this hatred is because it's so complicated. Is the hatred for the Jews a religious thing? Is it a racial thing? Is it an economic and political thing? Who are the Jews? At one time or another, it's all of the above. Anti-Semitism has meant different things to different people with different agendas throughout history. One source of confusion about anti-Semitism is the origin of the term Semite. Semite comes from Shem, the eldest of the three sons of Noah. In later times, the idea was widely adopted by Christians and other, to a lesser extent by Muslims and Jews, that the three sons of Noah represented the ancestors of the three major racial or linguistic groups. According to this interpretation, Ham was the ancestor of the dark-skinned peoples of Africa, Shem of the Hebrews and their various uh, relatives, and Japhthah, the ancestor of the Medes, the Persians, Greeks, and other peoples who many centuries later came to be known as Aryans. The use of the term Semite only developed during the 18th century in Europe. And as I say, it's complicated. The earliest manifestations of anti-Semitism go back to those early biblical days. Way back when the pharaohs ruled Egypt and the nation of Israel um, was laying thousands of years in the future, the ancient Hebrews dwelt as foreigners wandering through different lands. The Jews were thought of mainly as an ethnic group, a community of people who intentionally distinguished themselves from other people. The concept of race hadn't even been invented yet. The word ethnic simply means a people. In the earliest days in Egypt, this group of people distinguished themselves as faithful to their God and possessing a strong work ethic. In the Bible, the Jews in Egypt found favor with the Pharaoh. Joseph held a position of power. They were instrumental in the flourishing of the Egyptian economy and its survival. The Jews' success and hard work though, came at a price. When a new pharaoh came into power, seeds of mistrust were sown out of jealousy and lies, and the Jews were robbed of their status and enslaved. Eventually, things got so bad that the Jews fled in the great exodus into the desert. And for generations after that, they became homeless nomads. The Jews intentionally separated themselves from the surrounding culture through the rules and regulations of the Holiness Code. These dietary rules and norms of behavior set them apart from Gentile or non-Jewish peoples. The separateness of, or holiness is a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it maintained the purity of the religion. The fact that Judaism has survived for over 4,000 years bears witness to its success. On the other hand, their set-apartness has made them a constant target for abuse. They don't fit in. They resisted a culturalization. A history of abuse and suffering followed them wherever they went. They were ethnic outcasts, defined by their persecution and oppression. Another facet of anti-Semitism developed later. That is the religious dimension. Ironically, Jews, Christians, and Muslims, the major players in anti-Semitism, 
all trace our history to Abraham. Jesus Christ was a Jew. Jews enjoyed protected status as the people of the book in the early years of Islam. Well, how did things go so wrong? How did Christians and Muslims start persecuting and killing Jews? Put it simply, competition. I can find nothing inherent among the beliefs of Jews, Christians, and Muslims that causes us to hate one another. Our faiths are all based on love of God and love of our fellow human beings and forgiveness. Worldly kings and rulers have often sought to pit people of different faiths against one another in a quest for power and wealth. Religious discrimination is always based on half-truths and distortions. One pernicious expression of religious distortions leading to anti-Semitism is the characterization of Jews as Christ killers. Now, we all know that the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem played a key role in the crucifixion of Jesus. We also know that Jesus himself was a practicing Jew to the end of his life. Jesus was not killed by the Jews. He was killed by a power-hungry group of religious bureaucrats who felt their status was threatened. There is no valid religious reason for Christians or Muslims to hate Jews. Adolf Hitler and the Nazi regime perfected a new and deadly race-based justification for anti-Semitism. Nazism is based on the idea that Jews belonged to an inferior racial group that needed to be eliminated in order to protect the purity of the Aryan race. A bogus scientific genetic theory called eugenics was developed to support the race theory. Jews were assigned physical distinctions such as the Jewish nose. And according to this theory, Jews were genetically disposed to money-making, an inversion to hard work, clannishness, lack of social grace, and patriotism. The result was the Holocaust. And it was all rested on a bed of lies. The new anti-Semitism, as some people call it, is an amalgam of ethnic religion and racial prejudices. Jews still suffer subtle and overt discrimination everywhere in the world. Anti-Semitism must be distinguished, however, from anti-Israeli sentiments. For one thing, Israel is largely a secular state. While an anti-Semitism in any form or in any place cannot be tolerated, Fear of being called an anti-Semite cannot be our motivation for our stance toward the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. For example, I could agree with the, is, uh, disagree with the Israeli government's policy of establishing illegal settlements in the West Bank and still respect the faith and culture of Jews in Israel and everywhere else, for that matter. We have to use more objective criteria in plotting a course of political action to end the violence. Both parties must be approached with compassion and justice. First of all, terrorist acts perpetrated by Hamas cannot be tolerated. Lobbing dozens of missiles into Israel, as ineffective as many of them prove to be, is unacceptable and deserves a response. In some cases, that will require military action on the behalf of Israel. Unfortunately, the use of lethal force is sometimes justified as a matter of self-defense. Whenever justifiable 
capable military force is used, it must be proportional and restrained. Every precaution must be taken to avoid the innocent civilian casualties. That includes not destroying the infrastructure to the point that ordinary life is rendered impossible. Food, water, and medical aid need to be made available to avoid death due to malnutrition and disease. Siege warfare can be just as deadly as bombs and bullets, and military action can never be punitive or vengeful. We must continue to reject in the strongest terms and fight against anti-Semitism wherever it rears its ugly head. And this can only be done by educating ourselves and others about its origins and speaking out against it whenever, wherever we find it. Both sides must be willing to enter into meaningful discussions on creating ways forward to a lasting peace. It's no excuse to say that peace cannot be attained because it never has been possible in the past. Palestinians and Israelis will need to be open to compromise and willing to give up historic claims and even biblical claims that are shrouded in the distant path. Only then can something new arise. All of this must be done within the framework of international law and diplomacy. International partners such as the U.S. and the Soviet Union will need to hold combatants accountable for their actions. Although it's not usually the case, these international part partners must hold the welfare of the local people over seeking solutions that serve their own selfish interests. I have a personal interest at stake here. I have friends who are Israelis and friends who are Palestinians. I have witnessed firsthand in their own land how it is possible for them and their families to be friends and live a normal life together. Let's pray that angry people on both sides can take a step back and build on their friendships rather than their hatreds. Their future depends on it. Our God demands it. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. May God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine upon you with grace and mercy. May God look upon you with favor and give you peace. Salam. Shalom.